Welcome to Manufacturing Explained. My name is Greg Paulson. I have spent my career using various manufacturing technologies to produce and deliver engineered parts. Manufacturing Explained is an expert-to-expert conversation on all aspects of manufacturing. Today, I'm joined with Scott Benson, a senior project engineer at Zometry, to talk about injection molding, specifically that path from raw material to parts. I always think of injection molding as the ubiquitous mystery of manufacturing. It's one of the most common manufacturing technologies for producing parts, yet is often seen as intimidating for those learning about that subject. Right now, you're probably staring at 100 molded parts. Whether it's on your desk or dashboard, most plastic parts you see are injection molded. How are these made? What's the journey of plastic injection molding? Stay tuned for Injection Molding Explained. Injection molding is the most popular way of producing plastic parts because of high repeatability, high customization, and low prices over quantities. I'm here with Zometry Injection Mold Engineer Scott Benson to talk shop and get answers about manufacturing. We'll be talking about the injection molding process, the machine equipment, mold tooling, and how great parts are made. So let's talk plastics and what the injection molding process looks like from the materials point of view. I'm interested in following the material from its raw form to the machine and ultimately to the mold where it becomes a part. So Scott, thank you so much for joining on Manufacturing Explained. Yeah, glad to be here. Let's get some background. Uh, Scott, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into manufacturing and, uh, and your molding experience? Absolutely. Uh, so I have a mechanical engineering degree uh, that kind of laid some groundwork from a fundamental standpoint. Uh, I've carried many various roles in injection molding fields. Uh, anything from being a quality manager of an ISO 9001 certified quality management system to being a project engineer along with lean manufacturing engineer through uh, a few different molding plants um, over the past 13 years. So about 13 years of experience. I've seen many different types of tools, many different industries or in uses of parts, um, multiple different materials. So it's been a, a pretty good adventure. No, it's awesome. And it's, it's great because I, you know, speak, we're both at Zometry and speaking internally. And I know that uh, you're also like, like have amazing words of wisdom when it comes to molding. So it's, it's always great to like bring experts on and, and just talk more. Uh, and I think, you know, one of our goals is to look at molding from a bird's eye view. So we want to cover a lot of different topics in this field. Uh, but today, I want to essentially focus on the materials journey, uh, taking that raw material, what is the raw material, right? Just going that that level and then uh, walking through the machine. Um, as we're doing that, though, I, I, maybe it's, it may make sense to break down, like, what is the injection molding process? Uh, so if you are giving the elevator pitch or maybe a long elevator pitch, of like what the injection molding process is. Could you kind of walk walk that through uh, for more layman's term, like yeah. if you're speaking to an engineer new to the process? Yeah, Absolutely. So we're going to basically take uh, raw resin pellets, uh, plastic pellets. Uh, they look like little BBs. We're going to feed them into to the, the hopper of the machine uh, where the material will go down what's called the throat of the machine. It goes into what's a, a screw and barrel, which is a, a heated screw barrel system that uh, is kind of like an auger bit that pushes the material forward. It creates a homogeneous melt uh, and then it will be um, 
uh, held up in front of the in front of the injection nozzle, uh, where it will be injected into the steel mold under high pressure, and uh, you will hold that uh, that pressure to the to the plastic part to the cavity of the tool until it is hard enough to eject. Then the mold will open and the plastic parts will fall or get picked out by a robot. Yeah, absolutely. So like in this injection molding process, I think the the magic is you have this raw material and you're talking about going that cavity. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the cavity is essentially the negative, the shape of the part that it's going to uh, eventually become. And that plastic is just goes molds open and repeat. Uh, how fast is that process? Like, what does that look like from like in just a real time view? Yeah, so it, it, a lot of it depends on part geometry, weight, material, um, but it can be as fast as you know ten seconds, if not a little less, uh, all the way up to you know three minutes, depending on how complex and and how thick some of the wall sections are. There's things you can do post mold to help uh, shorten some cycle times, uh, but most of your your benefits going to come on a great part design and. and identifying those errors up front and, and getting rid of them for a quick cycle time. So add some efficiency there. Very cool. So we're, we're taking that journey and you talked about these BBs, this material, mm -hmm. um, you know, what is this? Like what, it, what type of resins are, or materials are used in injection molding? Right. So we can use anything from, uh, really there's like 90,000 different types of plastic resins, uh, different oh, additives. 90, yeah. Only 90. So <laughs> you can, you, you have ABS as polycarbonates, uh, you know, more engineering grade materials like Ultim or peak, uh, nylon, nylon, six, six, nylon, six, 12, nylon, four, six. There's, you name it. Uh, if you have an application, we can help you find the appropriate resin for your application. Uh, any, you know, there's PBTs, polyesters, uh, co-polyesters where they, you know, any, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there and uh, a lot of really, you know, really neat applications for many different resins. Awesome. And, and this material, uh, it's usually like there's, there's compounders, right? Which are kind of work between the, the material suppliers and they, they do things like adding colorant and that sort of, uh, that sort of work. I mean, do you ever get raw material in the final color like is it batched that way or like how do i get more customization on the materials that i'm, I'm choosing yeah so there's a there's a few things you can do um on a basic additive level you can add things like uv resistance uh, which basically if it's used outside all the time you would want that to help uh, prevent the plastic from degrading over time you can use glass fiber reinforcements to help uh, dimensional stability and structure um and and in increase the uh, you know, the mechanical properties of the plastic. Um, and then when it comes to color, uh, you can use, you, there's a few different ways you can color the, the resin. You can do what's called pre-color, which is taking the color concentrates and the raw resin uh, through a compounder, as you mentioned, re-extrude it and pelletize it in its colored form. Uh, that's the best way to ensure there's no color difference um, batch to batch. Uh, otherwise, you can do what's called salt and pepper blending, which you would basically put the raw resin and the color concentrate in a barrel and you'd spin it or, or shake it up or, or blend it as best you can and, and then uh, load that into the machine. Other companies have what are called gravimetrics, uh, gravimetric feeders. Uh, this feeds the color concentrate and the resin directly at the machine at a specific weight ratio. The, those are pretty cool. Yeah, I've se I've seen some of those uh, devices, and that's kind of like the future of custom molding, right? It's being <laughs> able to just you know very carefully at point uh, 
uh, and change change the pigment of your parts. I actually have a. You were talking about uh, uh, salt and pepper uh, blending. Uh, it was really funny. I was in a, in a boating um, area before, and I had someone looking into this barrel, and they're like, "What you know? Is this what type of resin is this?" And they're looking around, and you could see kind of like the clear and the blue. And I looked looked a little bit deeper, and I was like, "That's ice melt." That's for winter. <laughs> That's for our roads. Because yeah. it just happened to be like in the receiving bay, and they were, you know, because yeah. they were saw these little beads with you know different coloration to it, and. That's I was great. like, yeah, that that's ice melt. But, uh, you know, <laughs> if you know what ice melt looks like, you may now know what injection molding resin uh, yeah. looks like before. It, it, that looks more like a regrind material than it does raw resin. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I have to ask. So uh, we're talking about uh, regrind. When you hear regrind, like, what what does that mean? What is regrind? Yeah. So after the, the parts are made, sometimes there's a runner or sprue which is how the material is conveyed from the nozzle of the machine to the actual cavity in the mold. Uh, you can take that runner and sprue and put it through a grinder and chop it up into, um, and it's not really perfect pellets, but pellet-sized chunks, and you can reintroduce that into the molding mm -hmm. process. Yeah, so I've seen some products where they say, you know, 10 or 20% regrind, and that's what they're talking about. So it's it's reusing, reusing some of the scrap material, which is very little of an injection molding, uh, but there is some, especially if you have, like, these runners, these little pieces that you, you pop off, and reusing it within the material to, you know, it's for both cost savings as well as being a little bit more, you know, uh, responsible environmentally uh, as well. So... The one last question I have about uh, uh, material before it goes into, I think you mentioned before, before it goes into the hopper of the machine, right? Uh, so my last question is, often I hear about material going through a drying cycle. Mm -hmm. Like, what? why is material dried? Isn't it already dried when it's packed? Like, why Why does it go through a drying cycle before it enters the injection mold? Yeah, so some materials are hygroscopic, which means that they will actually absorb water. And water is detrimental to the injection process. Basically, when we are melting the plastic, it's above the boiling point of water. So it will create a steam uh, in the injection process, causing a defect called jetting um, or splay across the surface. Uh, not jetting, sorry. It is called splay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so, so that, uh, that defect can be prevented by, by drying the material. Typical drying times are anywhere from two to four hours, depending on what kind of dryer you use. Um, and the temperature ranges uh, will, are, will be specified on the material data sheets. That, and, it, you know, it reminds me very much, like, because I work mostly in a applied additive manufacturing, and there are certain materials, particularly nylons, uh, that love absorbing moisture. And uh, sometimes, you're, sometimes some of the defects you may see on your 3D print uh, in nylons has to do with moisture absorption. So... Uh, in kind of a similar attempt, sometimes uh, you are quasi-baking the material to try to get moisture out, so dry drying it out. Uh, I've also seen some pretty cool applications where the material, as soon as it's used, is just held in, in a... Um, in a nitrogen environment with a little bit of positive pressure to just like so you just have clean dry nitrogen uh in them in that if you have a nitrogen generator like all of us do of course yeah of course uh so it's it's uh, it's interesting plastics are can be temperamental uh that's definitely for sure you you also have to take that into account uh you know after the parts are molded you know they're going to absorb water uh, sometimes as they absorb water, they can actually become more tough. They will also change in size. So you have to make sure that your, you know, your quality system is aligned with when they're measuring parts and how they're measuring those parts. 
Yeah, I think uh, to that point, Nylon, I think, does actually anneal and, and behave a little bit better with a little bit of moisture. Yep. And I've seen the reintroduction uh, via a very fancy contraption uh, after nylon molded parts are done where they use a spray bottle, <laughs> one spray into the uh, into a bag, close up the bag, ship the parts. Uh, so, you know, very, very fancy equipment there. Of course. Uh, that was actually in a, a major tier one automotive uh, manufacturer. So it must work. All right, so we have this we have this material dried this resin this resin uh, plastic uh, it gets fed into the hopper and you talked about this screw auger so this is part of the injection molding machine which is kind of encompassing it's holding the tool it's moving things around um, what is the like what is happening to that plastic like how what is happening between that hopper and right before it goes to the actual injection mold tool. Yeah, it's going through a transition um, from being, you know, solid pellets to being homogenous melt. Um, it is actually tumbling across and, and rolling around the surfaces of that screw um, and bouncing from the screw out to the barrel uh, where the heat, you know, the heater bands are on the outside of the barrel. They're monitored, the temperatures are monitored with a thermocouple. So that, that heater band is either on or off at various stages down the, uh, down the barrel. Uh, four or five zones uh, down the barrel is pretty common. And, uh, you know, those temperatures uh, ramp up as you get closer to the nozzle. Awesome. So, and, and I heard you mention in our conversation before, you said feed, transition, and metering. Uh, is that part of that the auger process absolutely so the first part of that uh that screw is called the feed location that's where the raw pellets will fall into oh. and they're not quite as as melted um and then uh it goes down down through that process to the tip of the nozzle i and i, I have to ask so say i'm running a fresh uh like some new parts on my injection mold tool i'm assuming my tool has been running other parts in it uh, how do you avoid cross contamination in, inside this auger? Like, could you can you look inside there? Can you access it? How, like, how do you uh, remove old material? Yeah, so there's there's some purging materials that are that are out there that will help scrape the screw and barrel, um, hmm. and they can be in different material temperatures. So if you're using, uh, you, you know, different different materials can require different ways of purging. Uh, but you definitely want to clean that barrel and screw uh, per industry standards before switching to a new material. Um, and then you'll go through that that process of of purging to initiate uh, you know a, a good you know consistent material going into your parts before making parts. I, so I guess I have, I'm purely curious on this. Would I ever be purging and doing any uh, using the tool at the same time? Like so, would I use that to help like my, with my any feed rates or or packing, or is that done as, in a separate process? Yeah, so so purging is typically a separate process. Um, there can be different stages of purging, right? So you can purge straight from the screw and barrel, and then if you have a hot runner or hot manifold system, you would want to purge through that as well. Uh, you'd want to purge through if you have valve gates or something uh, attached to your hot manifold system. You want to make sure that you get as much uh, new material, melted material, clean material in through that system before starting to make parts. Uh, you can still, even after you do all of that preparation uh, perfectly, uh, you may still see some contamination on the first few cycles. Uh, that's why you know it's strongly encouraged that you make 10 or 15 cycles uh, of parts before yeah. even keeping uh, or looking at any parts. 
and that's why yeah so once once you have good parts you don't see anything that's contaminating like you know it's like a speckle of color or something and then ultimately those are going to be your initial samples or your or part of your production run uh, for injection molding that makes a lot of sense all right so we've taken material we got the stuff we've taken it through the hopper uh, we fed it through we're up to the mold uh, first off when I say mold, what are we talking about? Like, t tell me a little bit about what what it is when I talk about the mold or the mold tool, if you will. Right. So there's there's two main sides of a tool. There's what's called the A A side or the B side, the cavity side, the core side. Um, the A side of the tool is attached to the stationary platen of the machine, and it's exactly that. It does not move. It stays right where it is. The other side of the tool will open uh, with with the hydraulics of the machine. And uh, that will—that's your splitting point. What's called the parting line of your tool. Uh, inside of those, there can be slides or lifters to to make minor under, undercuts or or uh, additional lines of draw, which would be um, ways that the the cores or or cavities may re release from the part itself. Um, each one could be different, uh, and you know there's different styles of molds. What what we just talked about here would be a uh, basically a two-plate mold. There's three-plate molds, which put a runner and gate drop system through an additional plate. Um, but it, each each application has a, each tool, each part has its own um, requirements, and we can use those requirements to help design the best tool. All right, so we have a um, we have this tool. This tool has your core cavity, and actually, you're talking about the A side. Is the A side what's actually connected to the um, uh, to the gate, uh, so is that is that actually where the material is actually being fed through, or is it the B side? Uh, it depends on what type of gate you choose, right? So if it's an edge gate, it very well may be uh, half in the A side, half in the B side, or all in the A side, or all in the B side. It all depends on mm -hmm. the the design of that tool and how it's going to release from the A side. We don't want anything to stay on the A side when the when the part when the B side opens up. If the plastic stays over there, uh, you then have to figure out a way to pull it off of there. Um, there are some instances where you do what's called reverse ejection, where you purposely make it stay on the A side, but you've then turned your ejection system over to the B A side of the tool as well, and you pull it with uh, with some hydraulics or some mechanical pulls uh, to release the part. Um, but like I said, each part, each geometry has its own challenges, and uh, we can help navigate those. All right, so... All right, and I, we talked about. I kept on mentioning the gate. The gate introduces plastic, uh, but that channel that's introducing. So the gate is actually the feature that introduces plastic to the part itself, uh, and then you have the runner is actually what connects it to your screw auger that's metering and and uh, um, dispensing that material. Uh, yeah, and and you mentioned a little bit about those three plate molds and other things. So is that is that runner always existing? Uh, in a in a part, and how is it removed? Like like, why don't I receive it on yeah. parts? You know, when I get my parts yeah. Sorry, there there are a whole bunch of different gating systems and runner systems and valve gate system, hot hot tip systems that may or may not require a sprue or runner um, that that come out with the part. So if you if you are using a traditional gate or a, a runner sprue system you will have a few different types of gate. You could have a cashew gate, you could have a, a tunnel gate, you could have an edge gate, a fan gate, um, and it just is exactly right. You are right, that feature that puts the plastic into the part itself um, is, is the gate. 
and it, there's instances that it will be attached to the runner sprue. Some of them are automatically degating, which means when the mold opens and the parts ejected, the gate is broken off. Uh, that would be a tunnel gate. Uh, there's parts that uh, that the you know the runner the gate will be attached to the part. Those are edge gates, and those have to have a secondary operation to remove. Uh, it could be as simple as just grabbing it and breaking it off by hand, but it could be as 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 detailed as having to see and see that that part that that uh, gate off of there. And so, I mean, I guess from from your experience, what's most common? Like, so when we're talking about the the gating and and uh, uh, how to approach it, I know it's very geometry dependent, but what do you usually see? Like, so especially when we talk about potentially if I'm doing a low volume production versus production tooling. Uh, what options are, are you usually thinking yeah, so about? We're, we're always going to push to try to identify the least labor time sensitive uh, option for you. Um, but also the, the as you do that, the tools may increase in cost. So if we're down and dirty, we just want the cheapest the cheapest tool and we're okay with some gate vestige, that's going to be the edge gate. Um, it has its pros and cons from a injection standpoint. Uh, you know, as far as, uh, uh, you know, supplying the part with enough plastic to, to pack it out appropriately. Um, it may not be the most efficient from a cycle time. Um, but uh, if we can push more for an automatic, automatic degating system, like a tunnel gate, uh, those are relatively inexpensive. And, um, you know, if it's a low volume tool and you can get that, great. If it's a high volume tool, um, you know, there, there are some maintenance issues that could arise, but it's, it's definitely the, the next best. Um, the most expensive and kind of the Cadillac would be a valve gate system. And that basically uh, allows zero runner, uh, zero, zero sprue. Um, and you, you basically turn on and off the plastic right at the part itself. Uh, it allows you to control gate seal uh, immediately, and you just uh, you basically pack the part out, shut the shut the valve. Um, it's a valve pin that kind of shuts off the gate and allow the part to solidify at that point. So, uh, you know, it's, they, they're very complex, and they're you know, it's it's a lot of fun though. So is that is that when what you're talking about uh, with that valve gate system? Is that also when I hear the phrase hot drop or hot manifold? Are those encompassing the same technology there kind of um so the valve gate is actually Ooh, yeah kind, kind of. of a kind of the valve gate system is an addition to a hot manifold system it's it's uh, a few extra Got components it. that go into the the valve system that have a pin that actually uh go in and, and shut off the plastic otherwise uh your plastic would be open uh from hot tip all the way back to the hot manifold system the valve gate allows a, a clean shut off between that train. Makes sense. And that's, that's kind of like when you see a bunch of mass produced goods, that's usually if I'm looking and I see like a little dimple shape or of some, some form uh, on the part uh, and you don't really see any, what we call that vestige. Like, so that's, that's basically where the ejection point is. Uh, you know, hopefully it's as mitigated or small as possible, but it, there's has to be something there. But usually if you see like an interior little dimple and maybe a tiny little dot, that's going to be, uh, that's going to show off where those type of systems are used. Yeah, it very, very well may be. If it's near the edge, it could also be a cashew gate because they will put that same dimple on a cashew gate with a small little, with a oh, small yeah. little, uh, gate vestige right in the middle. So you can kind of see it on different gating schemes, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. Most of the time, if you see a bunch of them, that's going to be a, a hot drop system. All right. So I have this plastic. It's molten. It flows into the, the tool. 
Um, we are near the end. We are near the end here. And we were talking about these cycle times. Um, it is with this plastic cools. Is it really cool? Like, is it, uh, is it still pliable or is it uh, the room temperature? And I guess what I'm asking is uh, what's going to stop it from like, you know, bouncing around or deflecting uh, with the, when the cycle is complete. Yeah. So there's, you want to make sure that the, uh, the plastic is cool enough that the ejector pins won't push into it. Uh, that'll allow you to eject the part um, in the cycle time. Uh, or in the cooling time of the part, you need to be, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure that that process is done correctly. Different materials have different temperatures that that happens at. Um, for instance, if it's Ultim and uh, it's being ejected off the part, you don't want to touch it. That's going to burn you very, very bad. Um, <laughs> it, it would never be encouraged to grab a part straight after molding. Uh, you have to be very cautious and uh, the appropriate PPE should be worn when handling those parts. Um, but typically after the part is molded, uh, depending on part thickness, uh, it, you know, you, it's, it can be handled within, you know, 10, 15 minutes. That's, that's awesome. And that's where you see it like being dropped on a conveyor or it's, it's, it's uh, often being collected and then going, going through uh, any secondary needs or sometimes just packed and shipped away. Uh, Scott, any any words, wisdom, talking about this journey of plastics? We just covered everything from uh, the material, uh, going through the mechanisms of the machine, so going through the injection board process, uh, entering that auger, uh, going and being metered and dispensed into the tool itself and into those cavities and cooling within the cavities. So we did an interesting journey from a very different perspective than I think like a lot of times when you're when you're looking at injection board as a process, like. Any any tidbits or any any thoughts uh, that we should be we should talk about or? Uh... Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to plastic injection molding. There's a lot of variables. Um, the best thing you can do is control your inputs, and that way you can have repeatable outputs. Uh, follow the laws of plastics, right? So uh, you know you want to make sure that you have uniform wall thicknesses, and you uh, design your part appropriate for ejection um, and release from the A side of the tool, and uh, you know identify your lines of draw appropriately and you know that's that's really all i would have and if you need any help we're here to to provide with some of that guidance no absolutely uh scott this is uh this is always a pleasure and like i think it's something that there's so much mystery around injection molding yet it's also i'm looking in front of me right now and i probably have 200 molded pieces of plastic just in front of me like within a two-foot reach uh, so it's such a common technology and manufacturing process but there's always a little bit of mystery. It just doesn't just show up out of nowhere. Like there's actually stuff going on. So thank you for breaking down some of these topics. I definitely want to talk to you a little bit more. We we mentioned molding part design, and I know that's something that's really exciting. And even things about molding finishes. You know, how does how do my parts look shiny? How do they look matte? Uh, I, I think there's a lot of topics to cover there. Uh, for now, I think we'll, we'll close it there. Uh, thanks so much for taking us on this journey of plastics through the mold. And uh, Scott, uh, really Absolutely appreciate it. Absolutely glad to be here. Manufacturing Explained is a Zometry production. Zometry offers instant quoting and over a dozen processes from 3D printing to sheet cutting to machining and molding. Zometry is your one-stop shop for manufacturing.